If you would turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 4. Nehemiah chapter 4, we'll read the whole chapter, but we'll be looking mostly at verses 10 through 23. This is the living word of God. But it so happened when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, that he was furious and very indignant and mocked the Jews. And he spoke before his brethren and the army of Samaria and said, What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they fortify themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they complete it in a day? Will they revive the stones from the heaps of rubbish, stones that are burned? Now Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him, and he said, Whatever they build, if even a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. Hear our God, for we are despised. Turn their reproach on their own heads and give them as plunder to a land of captivity. Do not cover their iniquity and do not let their sin be blotted out from before you, for they have provoked you to anger before the builders. So we built the wall, and the entire wall was joined together up to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. Now it happened when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were being restored and the gaps were beginning to be closed, that they became very angry and all of them conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem and create confusion. Nevertheless, we made our prayer to our God and because of them, we set a watch against them day and night. Then Judah said, the strength of the laborers is failing and there's so much rubbish that we're not able to build the wall. And our adversaries said, they will neither know nor see anything till we come into their midst and kill them and cause the work to cease. So it was when the Jews who dwelt near them came that they told us ten times, from whatever place you turn, they will be upon us. Therefore, I positioned men behind the lower parts of the wall at the openings, and I set the people according to their families with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles, to the leaders, and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, great and awesome, and fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. And it happened when our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had brought their plot to nothing, that all of us returned to the wall, everyone to his work. So it was from that time on that half of my servants worked at construction while the other half held the spears, the shields, the bows, and, and wore armor. And the leaders were behind all the house of Judah. Those who built on the wall and those who carried burdens loaded themselves so that with one hand they worked at construction, with the other hand held a weapon. Every one of the builders had his sword girded at his side as he built, and the one who sounded the trumpet was beside me. Then I said to the nobles, the rulers, and the rest of the people, the work is great and extensive, and we are separated far from one another on the wall. Wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. So we labored in the work, and half of the men held the spears from daybreak until the stars appeared. At the same time, I also said to the people, let each man and his servant stay at night in Jerusalem, that they may be our guard by night and a working party by day. So neither I, my brethren, my servants, nor the men of the guard who followed me took off our clothes except that everyone took them off for washing. Let's pray. Lord God, this is your inerrant word. And we come now, we submit ourselves to you, we bow before our King and ask that you would fill us with your spirit, that we would delight in your word this morning, 
that we would seek you even as we hear it, that we would seek to apply it, Father, and that we would grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus. So we commit ourselves to you now. We thank you for giving us your word, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last week, in verses 1 through 10, we saw that Nehemiah and the people uh, were greatly mocked. They were derided. They were, in fact, resisted and uh, despised. They were a despised people by the enemies around them. And they were surrounded, as I mentioned last week. They were surrounded. And these enemies collaborated together. Even though they weren't friends before, they collaborated to try to stop what was going on here by the people of God. And so Nehemiah prayed against them. We talked a little bit about uh, imprecatory prayers last week. And Nehemiah prayed that very brief prayer uh, there. Uh, But they kept on building the wall. And I realized uh, last week, after we had finished, that uh, I forgot to share something, uh, some thoughts on Martin Luther uh, related to imprecatory prayer. And so just as a means of uh, reminder, uh, I'd like to read uh, a little bit from that book I mentioned, The War Psalms of the Prince of Peace. And uh, it's appropriate, obviously, that we share something from Martin Luther at this time, that we refer to him since we're remembering the 500th year when he uh, took the 95 uh, points that he had. It was called a Disputation on the Power and Efficacy of Indulgences, kind of a long title, Uh, but he had 95 points in there, and he nailed it to the door at uh, Wittenberg Castle. And actually, you might see Martin Luther coming up this coming Friday and Saturday, if you're observing. He might bump into you, actually. Uh, You may not recognize him. He's probably not going to be as rotund as you picture him in other pictures, but he'll be there. And uh, in fact, he's going to debate uh, with uh, Johann Tetzel. So there might be a battle there. It might be, it'll be a verbal battle, but there might be a battle, so uh, be ready for that. So again, as a brief review, this is from the War Psalms of the Prince of Peace. Martin Luther said, we should pray that our enemies be converted and become our friends, and if not, that their doing and designing be bound to fail and have no success and that their persons perish rather than the gospel and the kingdom of Christ. And uh, we also saw, uh, after he had prayed this, it said in the scriptures that the people had a mind to work. They worked hard together. They had a mind to work. They had one heart and one mind. Uh, They were working very hard, day and night. And uh, they were also prepared to fight together again. And they were united in in their work of faith. And I'd like to share... uh, this morning, a more modern illustration of a people who prayed and knew they had to pray uh, because basically their nation was uh, under attack and uh, it was a time that it looked like their army was going to be wiped out. Some of you, I think, have seen uh, Gary DeMar posted this week uh, about the movie Dunkirk it's, uh, in theaters now. And uh, if you want to know about it, I guess the Tylers went there so you can ask them what they thought of it. But... Uh, you may not know the, some of the history, and it wasn't in the movie, it turned out, that they were the, these forces, 350,000 or so men, were trapped on the beach. And between the, uh, the enemy was on the other side of them, and the English Channel was on the other side. And it looked like they were going to be wiped out. And that's what everybody thought. And uh, apparently the movie left some things out, though. You know, Britain actually was close to defeat, really, at this point. Um, 
And so the British Army was trapped at Dunkirk. And there were, uh, besides them, there are also French troops and Belgian troops, Dutch troops. And they're looking at safety across the English Channel. And I think they were hearing that we don't know how we're going to get enough boats to save 350,000 people. And so in desperation, uh, King George VI called for a national day of prayer, May 26, 1940. And he said basically to the people of the United Kingdom, we must turn back to God. We must turn back to God in a spirit of repentance and plead for divine help. And so basically as a nation, they did that. I don't know if you saw the picture that was posted there. There's a line outside of Westminster Abbey as far as you could see. And people just kept coming all day. In many churches across England, they prayed all day. And there are three miracles that are not in the movie. So when you, if you go to the movie, remember these. First of all, for some reason, Hitler delayed. He delayed. Nobody knows why. Historians aren't sure. But he delayed. He had the advantage. He could impress the advantage. Uh, but he did not do that. And it gave them more time to evacuate the soldiers. But really, uh, the, the most amazing miracle, I think, was a storm developed right over where the Luftwaffe, the artillery, the uh, Air Force, the German Air Force, was located. They couldn't take off. They could have, some of them had, actually, and they strafed the, the men on the beach. They were helpless. Strafed them, but then the storm came, and uh, they were grounded. They were grounded. The, second, the third miracle, really, is that people said afterward that they'd never seen the English Channel that calm. It was like a lake. English Channel is usually not like that. It's very choppy but it was calm. And so it enabled more than 800 ships, boats. I don't know, but, but even sailboats, even rowboats came across the channel. And God was exalted. And Gary DeMar wrote later, he said, well, England sure seems like a different country now, doesn't it? Britain has largely rejected the moral law of God, it seems. And he said, and this is familiar to us here in this country, God's moral order, he's talking about England, has been replaced with a moral sickness where killing unborn babies is a leftist sacrament. Homosexuality is celebrated with pride. Gender fluidity is a state-sanctioned right. And Christians are derided, persecuted, and sued for opposing these festering diseases. There's something else that was left out on that day when uh, one of the soldiers, one of the officers, uh, sent a message. A British naval officer sent a message. It was just three words back to, he, because apparently they'd communicated saying, we don't know how we are going to save you. And he just wrote back, but if not, but if not, three words. They all understood what he meant. It's from Daniel chapter 3. Our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, let it be known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve your gods nor worship the golden image which you have set up. You know, a statement of victory, essentially, and in the love for the sovereign God. And Nehemiah essentially said the same thing in verse 9. He said, when, they, when the, they said, we're coming after you and there's not a thing you can do about it, he said, nevertheless, we made our prayer to our God and set a watch. 
didn't stop him from taking action. He prayed, said, nevertheless, we're going ahead. This morning, our final song is from Psalm 124. And this song was sung in many of those churches uh, across the United Kingdom, but especially in England. They sang this song, and you'll know why when we sing it. So I'd like you to take note when we do sing it. What, why did these people sing that song? Psalm 124. Well, may the Lord make us also a people who pray together and work hard together for the glory of God and his kingdom. So today, we're going to look uh, briefly uh, at how our enemies seek to discourage us and um, how we become discouraged just in, in the battle that we face, in, in what is on our plate, and how to deal with that together. First of all, verses 10 through 12, we see here several ways that we can be discouraged as we work on our part of the wall in, in the kingdom. In our kingdom-building part, uh, we can get uh, weary. Verse 10 says, Then Judah said, The strength of the laborers is failing, and there's so much rubbish that we're not able to build the wall. Now, Judah here is referring generally, basically, to some of the people of the tribe of Judah, people in that area, Jewish people, people maybe may be involved in the work or near it anyway, but probably those Jews who are out, living outside the walls who should have been really uh, encouraging. But they became aware of some of the designs of the enemy, and so they came and they brought this uh, message. And they told these three things, basically, in verses 10 through 12. The strength of labors is failing. There's so much rubbish we, we can't build. Now, sometimes the strength of those around us, brothers and sisters, is wavering. It is diminishing. And we're tired. Uh, we're lacking zeal sometimes. We're weary of the struggle we're facing, the struggles. And the task of building sometimes is tough, at least, you know, the particular part of the wall that we're building. It's tough on us. And the spiritual battle is relentless. And as fellow members of the body of Christ, we need to ask the Lord to open our eyes to what, each, what is going on in each other's lives. Yes, I think we're very aware here. Praise God. But we want to be even more observant of what is going around. What, what is the person next to you facing? And we have a clear role and a, and a calling in this as fellow citizens of heaven, as those covenanted to serve together. That's what we're called to do. We must be very careful, of course, to encourage each other and how do we do that? With the promises of God. And certainly not to add to each other's burdens by uh, being overly negative or full of fear ourselves and then, then spreading those kind of things. We're to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Not add to those burdens. So ask yourself this morning, how can I do this better? How can I do this more? How can I speak more in a way which strengthens and encourages my brothers and sister, sisters and what they're going through? So let's help every, encourage each other as we build and we battle. Everyone in this room needs words of grace spoken to them, probably far more than each of you receive. Ephesians 4 teaches us to let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, or that which corrupts. That should not come out of our mouths but what is good for necessary edification. That word necessary, if you remember, means what is apt for that time in their life. What is appropriate at that time? That it may impart grace to the hearers. 
What an amazing role we have. We can impart grace to each other. We can encourage each other. And in Phil's communion meditation last week, Isaiah 54, 3, he mentioned that we need to transfer an infectious faith for generational growth. We believe in generational growth and our covenant children rising up. But an infectious and biblical faith is what we want to communicate. And it's the opposite of fear. This is the opposite of fear. Fear discourages and weakens us. The fear of man will prove to be a snare, but he who trusts in the Lord is kept safe. But those who speak words of grace, more often than the other kind, can bless people greatly, probably far more than they're aware of. And words of grace enables us, by God's grace, to help others continue in the battle if they're thinking of stopping. Now our speech and our conversations more and more need to be laden with talk that encourages faith. So think about that. How, how can I do that? I want to encourage faith in my brothers and sisters in Christ. A faith that turns people who are struggling in their labor to the strength of the Lord and the strength of his promises. That is what we all need when our strength is failing, like it was here. Hebrews 3 tells us, exhort one another, and some versions say encourage one another, because exhortation is a form of encouragement. It says, encourage one another daily, while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Yes, we can become hardened if we are not taking that role that we have to encourage each other. The enemy wants to stop whatever we are doing, the, the work on the wall that is expanding here. He wants to stop that. The world and those in it will resist us in this work. Even other Christians will do so some, maybe unknowingly. Well, secondly, verse 11 says, and our adversaries said, so it's again reported, our adversaries said, they will neither know nor see anything till we come into their midst and kill them and cause work to cease. I wonder if there's another way they could have mentioned that, but basically, it's, again, I think it's, it's, it doesn't say exactly who said this, but I believe it's the people of Judah, some, some of those people, again, meaning that this intelligence that they heard was reported to Nehemiah and the people on the wall, you know, maybe out of concern, but still in such a way, and we'll see in verse 12, they did it many times, as to cause discouragement. And this message could have been discouraging, of course, just because it was spread by some of the people of Judah. Probably those people were not actually working on the wall. But those living outside the wall and connected with Sanballat. Now, remember Sanballat? He was kind of the de facto leader in that area in the north, and he had some power there. And many people, it turns out later in the book, we find out many people were connected with him. Many of those people were by marriage or by monetary gain, they were connected with Sanballat. And so they had a reason to spread that kind of message. And basically, what, what it says is, you better be ready because at any time, they're going to get you when you least expect it. They'll be in your midst, they'll kill you, uh, and end this work, and there won't be anything you can do about it. That's how it was coming across. You know, brothers and sisters, I think we have to be wary of messages regarding what the enemy is going to do and how successful the enemy is going to be. We should be strengthened by faith in the promises of God while being aware, certainly, of some of the enemy's designs, aware that our enemy is a liar and he's the father of lies. But the God who knows all things was watching over them. 
And he's watching over us, and he's protecting us. Verse 15 says, And it happened when our enemies heard that it was known to us, that's that plot, those three things that were told to them, when our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had brought their plot to nothing, that all of us returned to the wall, everyone to his work. Ah, okay, yeah, turned right around and started building again. And this is, I believe, how our enemies are discouraged and will be discouraged when they see the unity and the progress of the people of God, all by God's grace. It says, all of us return to the wall, everyone do his work. Okay, that's done. That humongous plot that they designed. So the adversaries and some of the, the Jewish messengers who brought their message saw the Almighty, the omniscient God, warning his people and protecting them and helping them. They saw that, that it was the living God who brought their plot to nothing. He brought their plot to nothing. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Well, the third way, verse 12, it says, So it was when the Jews who dwelt near them came, again, they came probably from outside, not inside working on the walls, that they told us ten times, meaning a lot. From whatever place you turn, they will be upon us. Ten times. Wasn't once sufficient? I believe these are the same people. Seeking to stop the work by creating a fear of attack, or at least I think they wanted to slow down the work that was going on because uh, the message would cause uh, people to be distracted, maybe to look over their shoulder, and maybe slow down the work. They didn't just give the message. They said it ten times. So it's kind of like nagging, I think. You know, they seem to enjoy bringing this bad news, news that is negative. This is not how believers should speak to each other. Proverbs 25, 25. As cold water to a weary soul, so is good news from a far country. May we be the ones bringing that cold water to a weary soul. We can do that, and I know we can do that. So rather than highlight or emphasize the negatives, it's much better to help each other move forward in faith. Being aware of the dangers, certainly, but that the preponderance of our advice should be that which focuses our dear brother and sister on the Lord and on his promises, on his might. He is awesome. And that's like cold water to a weary soul. That's what we need. That's the cold water we need. So we need to encourage each other in Nehemiah's situation uh, some discouragement came from within, meaning from people who really should have been for the workers. And of course, uh, as they expected it, it certainly came from uh, outside. Opposition came from the people who uh, wanted to stop the work completely, uh, adversaries. But encouragement, of course, should come, uh, should be expected uh, from within, from each other, uh, to turn us each to the Lord. I'd like to give you an example. If you're wondering, well, you know, how do you take a verse and encourage somebody? I, maybe I don't even need to say this to this group. But I like, I was meditating on Psalm 46 this week. Psalm 46, verses 1 and 2. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Now, I think about this myself, and I put it in first person, and I say, God is my refuge and my strength. He's who I flee to. He is my refuge. He is my place of rest. He is my strength. And he is a very present help in trouble. He's near to me. I know he loves me. He's with me. Therefore, I will not fear. And I think we can encourage others in the same way. We can say to someone, you know, brother, God is your refuge. And this is what that means. God is your strength. He's unlimited, unlimited strength. And he's very present help in trouble. 
He understands what you're going through. He is near to you. So do not fear. So encourage them not to be, not to stop being active because of discouragements, but to take actions of faith like these people did. Hey, we went back to the wall. Take small steps even. Mustard seed faith is very mighty in the Lord. Nehemiah here took action. The two, two words we see in verse 13, he positioned uh, the men and he set the people. And these are actions, I believe, uh, that I'm sure these were encouraging in themselves. Just taking action can be encouraging. Let's get back to the wall. And it unified the people. It focused them. Verse 13 says, Therefore I, that is Nehemiah, positioned men behind the lower parts of the wall. That's in the areas where uh, there is still a weakness, the lower parts of the wall, maybe, and the gates had not all been put on at this point. So, yes, they, he needed to do that. Somebody needed to delegate somebody to do that. And then it says, I set the people according to their families with their swords, their spears, and their bows. So he set the families in order around the wall. Everybody knew where they were supposed to be. They, had, they were armed, and they were ready. So Nehemiah and the people took steps of faith. They didn't stop building the wall out of fear or you know, just leave building of the wall and, and go to the wall with their weapons in defensive position and let the wall go. They didn't do that. And we can greatly encourage each other by speaking the truth of the word into each other's lives. Remind each other of who we are serving and who is for us. Nehemiah said in verse 14, And I looked and arose and said to the nobles, to the leaders, and to the rest of the people. So he's talking to three separate groups, but he's making sure he's talking to everybody. Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, great and awesome, and fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. Don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Remember the Lord. What better thing can we do when we are trying to encourage someone else to help them remember who the Lord is? We help them remember the Lord by sharing the word, by reminding each other of the Lord and recounting the awesome works of our God. He is great and awesome. And because he is great and awesome, we then can go back to the wall. We can get ready to fight. So we can, in a variety of ways, say, remember the Lord and stay in the fight. Keep building the wall. Remember the Lord and continue to take actions of faith. And stand up for your brothers and your sisters in the Lord. Now, encouragement. This encouragement happens, I believe, constantly among us. Praise God. Certainly on the Lord's Day, as we are eating Lunch, it's a great time of encouragement, or it can be, and it mostly is. And we can all do this. And I don't know if you've noticed, even the youngest here are involved in this encouragement. And it's a great thing to see. Last week, uh, after the service, I was walking away, and, and uh, Titus Barron came, and he gave me a page that he had colored. And uh, I have it here. He did a great job of coloring it. You know, it's got the men fighting on the wall. He's got the wall. He colored it all in. And he brought that to me, and he said, you know, he didn't have to say much, actually. Um, but it was, a, it was a blessing. And so it was just a joy, you know. So he encouraged me in his own way. He encouraged me. And others have done that, too. He's not the first one. But uh, he didn't draw a funny picture of me on this one. But, um, but it was a great blessing. It was a great joy. So all of us, everyone in this room can be involved in this. And the, the point is, let's, let's be doing that. Let's all of us be doing that. Let's not think, well, I don't really have a role in that. It's not my gift. We need to remind each other not to fear. 
And each of us should know at least one verse that should come immediately to mind in that situation. To remind each other to remember the Lord, how mighty he is. And we need to ask each other, I believe, more readily for prayer in our work, our ministry, our outreach, whatever it is we're facing. We should not hesitate to ask for prayer because we might look weaker. We are weaker. But in the Lord, we're mighty. And his grace is sufficient. So two examples of people who are encouraging. This first one I hadn't noticed before. Uh, this is Moses. And this is uh, at the end of Moses' life. The Lord had commanded him to say some things to Joshua. This is what he said. But command Joshua and encourage him and strengthen him. For he shall go over before this people and he shall cause them to inherit the land which you will see. Can you imagine Joshua's role? What he's thinking? I think he probably needed encouragement. He's taking this army, maybe it wasn't quite an army yet, to go in and conquer some people who were well fortified. Joshua 1, 5 and 6 says, No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. That would be encouraging. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and of good courage. Praise God for those words. Verse 7 says, Only be strong and very courageous. Verse 9 says, Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Great words of encouragement that we can share with each other. So Moses had an important role of encouragement at the end of his life. I, I really hadn't noticed that. And then in Acts chapter 4, there's a man named Joseph, or Joseph in some versions, and his nickname, I guess, was called Barnabas. He's called Barnabas by the apostles, which means son of encouragement. What a great name. He was a Levite of the country of Cyprus, and uh, in, in Acts 4, he, he had some land, he sold it, he brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. That's, that was his form of encouragement at that point. But then in Acts 11, it says that the church uh, leaders, the church in Jerusalem, sent him out uh, to go to Antioch, far away. And it says, when he came and had seen the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all that with purpose of heart, in other words, unity of heart, they should continue with the Lord. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. This is what a man of encouragement, this is a result of a man of uh, brought encouraging words. He encouraged them with purpose of heart. Continue, press on. He's a man of faith, and he encouraged them to be strong. Paul, in Romans chapter 1, he, this is, uh, he, he was saying that he really wanted to go to Rome. He really wanted to go. And this is one of the reasons why. He said, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. So Paul was expecting to encourage them, of course, by his faith, and he expected them to encourage them by their faith. And I was reading a book uh, recently by Jay Adams. I didn't even know he'd written this one called Encouragement Isn't Enough. thought I'd read most of his works, but this is a great uh, little book. And he said, encouragement is for those who are highly motivated, or it's for the motivated people. A bit fearful or uncertain, perhaps, but willing to respond to a divine summons to undertake some task for him. So they're willing to go forward. Yes, I'm, I'm a bit fearful here. I'm kind of uncertain, maybe, but Lord, I will do this. So the people around and near Nehemiah were motivated. They were a bit fearful. They were a bit uncertain, but they were willing to respond and take action, and they did. And uh, Jay Adams goes on, now, the, the task. He, he said that God gives us a task, and 
These people said, yes, I will do that, or I'll be involved in it. That task need not be a major one, a heroic feat that will change the course of history, or even the course of a local church. It may have to do with something that God wants done at work or at home, and that the Christian himself is basically motivated to do, such as witnessing to an unsaved neighbor, but may be a bit scared to undertake. And I'd like to encourage us all today to speak in this way more to each other. When we meet for fellowship, when we talk to each other at the tables for lunch on the Lord's Day, and also to remember that a simple phone call or a text can make a huge difference in a person's life. You may not know what they're going through exactly, or you may know, well, I think they're probably having a hard day. You don't even have to say much. Put some scripture in there. And it might enable them to continue in the battle, continue in their part of the building that day. And Jay Adams also has a chapter called Planned Encouragement. Great chapter, because I got to thinking about this. I, I think many people here are gifted in encouragement. And if they see and if they know or if they're aware, they're, they encourage greatly. And praise God for that. But uh, I appreciated his point, that being that we should not just be ready to say what's needed to help people follow the Lord as we're speaking with them, but to plan ways to encourage them, to plan ways, to think and pray, how do, we, how do I do this? To be purposeful in it. Maybe even schedule it. Scheduling something doesn't make it less joyful, less meaningful. For example, husbands, do you think ahead of how to do this for your wives? Do you actually plan to do this? Well, one way uh, that I've told some of the men here is, uh, you know the five lo love languages? If you just type that in, it'll come up and you can have that sent to you. I think it's once a week. And just really brief things, very doable. And, you know, in each of the five, the words of affirmation, acts of service, gifts, quality time, physical touch, it gives some really simple thing that you can encourage your, in, in a way to encourage your wife. To me, it's an encouragement. And like Nehemiah, when we know those around us are fearful and discouraged, we should say, in effect, do not be afraid of them. Do not be afraid of whatever it is you're facing. Remember the Lord, great and awesome. Isaiah 41 is my go-to verse. If I'm going to share with someone, fear not, for I am with you. The great I am is with you. Fear not. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Meditate on that. Very encouraging. Now, we can greatly help each other as we are in the battle, uh, when we're struggling in whatever uh, building we're doing, by sharing what others, what helps others turn to the Lord, really, to the great and awesome God, and reminding each other of the mighty promises of God, and then encourage them to stay in the fight. Praying for them and with them is also our calling, a great means of encouragement. To come together to the throne of grace, there we have unlimited power. There we come to the great I am, and there we remember the Lord together. That is encouraging. And then fight for each other, with each other, fight for each other. Stand up for each other, defend each other, assist each other in our work and our labor. This is what a body of believers does. It's how we act. That's how we act here, by God's grace. And I believe we may be called to act even more so uh, in the future. When verses 15, verse 15 says, And it happened when our enemies heard that it was known to us, that was that plot, that God had brought their plot to nothing, that all of us returned to the wall, everyone to his work. 
So it was from that time on that half of my servants worked at construction while the other half held the spears, the shields, the bows, and wore armor, and the leaders were behind all the house of Judah. Now, that wasn't always the case. Sometimes the leaders weren't uh, all behind, but in this case, the leaders were behind what was going on. Those who built on the wall and those who carried burdens loaded themselves so that with one hand they worked at construction and with the other held a weapon. I, should, I was going to ask some of the construction guys here uh, if, they, if they could do that. I'd like to see that being done. And it says, every one of the builders had his sword girded at his side as he built. Thus, I put that picture on the notes there. There's a trowel and a sword. So the people were building the wall, and they knew that it was God who had brought their enemy's plot to nothing. And the enemies knew it also. But that doesn't mean they're going to stop. Psalm 2 says, this is describing them. Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. So they went right back to building. They returned to the wall. Everyone to his work, it says. And the people were renewed and uh, to continue this multitasking to continue the work of building on the wall. They worked hard with the weapons of their warfare at their side. In, in other words, they were ready. They were truly ready. And we are called to be ready too. Ephesians 6, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, to stand. So they continued with wise preparations as a group. They had specific tasks. They had a division of labor. By the way, we have a division of labor here by the gifts of the Holy Spirit given to each of us. We need to exercise them for the building of the body of Christ. And we find out what those are actually by taking action. Not by drawing back, we take action by serving and ministering in the body. So regarding readiness, the last part of verse 18 says, and the one who sounded the trumpet was beside me. So Nehemiah, wherever he went, he had a man with a trumpet next to him. And if the wall was weak, if they did attack and there was a weakness in the wall, He'd say, time to blow the trumpet right here, and the people would rally to him. So he was always with Nehemiah. Your elders are seeking to rally this church, in a sense, to the walls that we are called to build and to be prepared and ready for battle. Our desire is to help the saints for the work of ministry, to be prepared, to be ready in the kingdom work that we've been given not only as a church, but you as a family, you as individuals. So please pray for us at this, as I asked last week. And each week, the Lord rallies us. Did you know that? We get to rally every week. He gathers us because he knows how much we need to rest and be restored on this day, this Sabbath day, and strengthen and encourage so that we can then go out and do it again, do battle again, go back to the wall and build in the kingdom. And when one of us has a need we can rally in prayer, of course, or in some other kind of service to help each other continue in the, in the battle. Any of us can blow the trumpet, really, in one sense, to alert the saints for help. So our response of faith is to be unified in building and doing battle and to be alert to the trumpet call to rally when others are overwhelmed, to be in readiness to help each other by prayer and by service, by whatever gifts God's given you, by engaging in battle together. I praise the Lord that we're doing this. 
and we're learning to do this by his grace. Verse 19 says, Then I said to the nobles, the rulers, and the rest of the people, The work is great and extensive, and we are separated far from one another on the wall. Whenever, wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. And he didn't say, well, you don't have to fight. He said, our God will fight for us. We have to fight. We've been called to war. We're, we're in a battle, but we're never alone. The Lord God Almighty will fight for us. He is our deliverer. He is our defender. So you might wonder, eh, we talk about battle. What are, you, what are you talking about? For example, we're battling against uh, the abortion mill down the road and the huge, powerful businesses and industries that support it. And they're powerful. We're battling against ungodly politicians and political systems, greedy and, and tyrannical world governments even, and organizations. We're battling against our own flesh, our own fleshly desires, the old man that is being sanctified out of us, but is not all gone. Against the demonic and the spiritual hosts of wickedness. And against those who denigrate the word of God, who hate the institution of the family and the church. We've had some of that battle, practically, in this congregation. I believe we'll, we should be ready for more. But here's a promise. Proverbs 21, 31. The horse is prepared for the day of battle, but deliverance is of the Lord. We can trust in him. We need to prepare. We need to plan. We need to pray. But deliverance of, is of the Lord. Our God will fight for us as we actively, by faith, engage, engage the enemy. We're never alone. Verse 21 says, So we labored in the work, and half the men held the spears from daybreak until the stars appeared. There's a long day. At the same time, I also said to the people, Let each man and his servant stay at night in Jerusalem, that they may be our guard by night and a working party by day. So neither I, my brethren, my servants. So Nehemiah had people around him. He had a bodyguard. He had some servants. So he said, Neither I, this is the top guy, my brethren, my servants, nor the men of the guard who followed me took off our clothes, except that everyone took them off for washing. Now, for those mostly, probably young men and boys here who would like to make this part of this sermon, this last verse, an application uh, to not change your clothes as often as your mother says or shower as often, that's not the point here, obviously. Do not, well, I, I, you shouldn't make an application of this. The application to be made here, brothers and sisters, is that we must be prepared and we must be alert. Are we alert? Ready to engage in the battle with the world, our flesh, and our enemy. Knowing that our strength is in the Lord. And we're strong together, by the way, as a body in the Lord. And if you are involved in this work, in kingdom work and building, there will be adversaries. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 16, and he said, for a great and effective door has opened to me. In other words, the ministry was greatly expanding. So he said, for a great and effective door is open to me, and there are many adversaries. So in your ministry, your particular ministry, or your family's ministry, or our ministry as a church grows and is effective, there will be more adversaries. Are we ready for that? Are we saturated in the word of God? Are we steadfast in prayer? And so we see here that the people stayed close to each other. They worked long, hard days. They were guarding at night, working during the day. And um, even those who lived outside the walls, the faithful ones, 
didn't even go home. They sacrificed even more. They, their home was out there. They stayed here behind the walls to protect. But the conclusion, really, of the sermon and the conclusion uh, of this, the material result of this that we are talking about today, of this united hard work together, was that the people of God, protected and strengthened by the Lord and encouraged by his care for them and encouraged by each other, completed this wall in 52 days. 52 days. You remember last week what I told you, basically the size of that wall? Nehemiah 6 says, So the wall was finished on the 25th day of Elul in 52 days. That's just a little under nine months at six days a week. They wouldn't have worked on the Sabbath. So by any measure, that's a work of God. It's a testimony uh, to the power of the Lord God shown through his people. Verse 16 of chapter 6 of this, And it happened when our enemies heard of it, and all the nations around us saw these things, that they were very disheartened in their own eyes. For they perceived that this work was done by our God. Brothers and sisters, the enemies of the Lord are the ones who will be discouraged. Our Lord is sovereign over the nations. He will accomplish what he has planned. And we have the blessing of being laborers. He's called us laborers in his field, in his kingdom. What an amazing calling. May this scenario be so with us, that as we here work to build as the Lord has called us to do, that those around us, even the enemies, especially the enemies of God, will perceive that the work was done by the Almighty God through his unified people. The Westminster Shorter Catechism, number 102, asks the question, why do we pray uh, this way? It's, it has to do with the second petition of the Lord's Prayer, meaning, thy kingdom come. Why do we pray that way? We pray that Satan's kingdom may be destroyed and that the kingdom of grace may be advanced, ourselves and others brought into it and kept in it, and that the kingdom of glory may be hastened. May it be so by our efforts of faith that the kingdom of glory may be hastened. May we build knowing that the kingdom of glory, the kingdom of grace, will be built up in the Lord's power by us and our descendants as we walk by faith and encourage each other for the glory of the Almighty God. Let's pray. Oh, Lord God, you are mighty and worthy of praise. You are awesome. You have called us to work together and to build each other up, to encourage each other as we build in your kingdom, and to fight the enemy together as your people. And Lord, we rejoice that you will fight for us as you have promised, that your will will be done. May we have an even more active role in the kingdom of grace being advanced as we continue on in faith and encouraging each other in the faith that the kingdom of glory may be hastened. And we ask this in the name of the King of Kings, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. As I mentioned, we are going to